Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Second hour is here of OutKick 360, 6th and Peabody, our location with E-Hop here and Old Smokey Moonshine. We broadcast live in Music City, Nashville, Tennessee, every day. You can join us here on location with great moonshine and beer on tap made here on site. Fantastic firework display here downtown last night. I don't know how they measure this, if it's based on length or money spent or um, the number of fireworks, but if it's not number one in the country, it was number two yesterday here downtown. Watching it, they had it on the, the TV, and it was spectacular. Some, so they had 350,000 estimated last year. And Broadway was again slammed with all of the fireworks being displayed across the river. Luckily this time, gentlemen, um, no, none of the uh, security or uh, police officers or firefighters uh, were stuck in the pedestrian bridge uh, building, the bridge building, while all of the, while all the fireworks went was off. Was that last year? Yeah. Yeah, it's... Um Maybe it's by like dynamite tonnage they measure it for the biggest firework show. So I, I have no clue. But it looked great. And then I've been friends with a guy who happened to be landing at BNA That's around 930. To fly. Whenever you could look down and see the nation's largest firework display. I, I saw a, a few videos. Uh, honestly, from Houston. And that's where John McClain joins us. He joins us each and every week at this time. We talk NFL headlines with John McClain, Sports Radio 610. And a pro football Hall of Famer. His name's in the Hall of Fame, both in Canton and for the state of Texas. John, hope you're doing well. I am, guys. I was on Interstate 10 last night with my wife, Carol, watching fireworks over downtown Houston. The neatest, most spectacular fireworks show I've ever seen was before the last Super Bowl in San Diego. Houston was the next year, so they had their host committee there. The host committee rented a huge boat and took a lot of people out into the harbor in San Diego, and they had their fireworks display on the harbor coming off of different boats over downtown San Diego, and it just went on and on. The fact that you were on the ocean made it even more spectacular. The next best I've seen was in Washington, D.C., as they celebrate the nation's independence, it was spectacular as well. And you guys don't need much of a party to get people to come downtown by the hundred thousands just to celebrate something. That's that's they fair. probably celebrate Paul's birthday if you let them know. Oh, they they'll be, be celebrating. They'll that. be celebrating something today. I mean, every day there's a there's a party on Broadway. Uh, John, you're right. You can follow John on Twitter at McLean underscore on underscore NFL. Um, I don't know what type of report this is. Um, if you're going to put out a report on Baker Mayfield and name Seattle and Carolina and then mention a mystery team, but not mention the team who is a mystery, 
Uh, I, I don't know exactly what type of uh, time or effort to put into this, John, but I, you know, I am asking myself who that team might be if it's not Carolina or Seattle for Baker. Well, first of all, we don't even know if it's true. And uh, I've said all along, I don't understand why Seattle would not be interested in Mayfield, considering they have Geno Smith, number one, Drew Locke, number two, which means they don't really have a starter. And Mayfield is healthy. He's in the last year of his contract. So he's he's playing next season for millions and millions of dollars. Plus, you know, he's got a huge chip on his shoulder to prove the Browns wrong and tell them where to stick it. And his best chance of success would be with the Seahawks. They have two great wide receivers. They have a great receiving tight end. They've got two good running backs, and they use first and third round picks on offensive tackles. They use the offseason to help fortify their offense. And then they got Geno Smith as a number one quarterback. That's like having a Mercedes offense with a Volkswagen engine, unless Pete Carroll knows things we don't know. And he professes publicly to have confidence in Geno Smith as the starter, but, and maybe he will, maybe at his age, all of a sudden the lights gone off and Geno's going to do a tremendous job of replacing Russell Wilson. But, you know, the odds are against that. I would want Baker Mayfield. Carolina's been the team all along. They say he's interested. If I'm Cleveland, I'm swapping him for Sam Darnold and playing Darnold over Jacoby Brissett. And as far as a mystery team, uh, and I, you didn't say who wrote that or tweeted it, but sometimes if you say mystery team, you don't know who it is. Somebody's told you in an organization, well, there's a mystery team, but I'm not at liberty to divulge to you, even off the record, who it is. But it will be a surprise because so far uh, there haven't been many indications that other teams are interested since before the draft. Yeah, it's from Michael Balco, and I, I got that through Red Zone, uh, that put out the the story um, and, and rewrote it, Mystery Team Enters Baker Mayfield Trade Talks. Um John, you mentioned uh, Geno Smith as the starter in Seattle. I find it interesting about how split members of the Seahawks are on who the starter is. Um, For instance, you've got the U.S. Open taking a shot at Drew Locke. Drew Locke fires back. D.K. Metcalf is taking Drew Locke uh, and and backing his quarterback. And I'm thinking, well, if it's Drew Locke, then it's not Geno Smith, who started like a month's worth of games last year whenever Russell Wilson was out with that finger issue. Now, that thing was some intern with the U.S. Open who saw who saw that tweet and then responded with Drew Locke. Fast is, it shows you how uninformed that intern was. Drew Locke's not the starter. They're not prepared to go 17 games with Locke. They're prepared to go 17 games with Geno Smith, uh, according to Pete Carroll. So that was funny. Locke's response was funny. It was weird to see Drew Locke and U.S. Open in the same sentence, and it was humorous for a day. And uh, now, fact is, I don't even know if anybody pointed out, he's not even the starter. John, did you cross paths with Hank Goldberg at all um, during his time? He's a big shot in Miami, obviously, during his career or or, uh, connected to ESPN. I knew the hammer a little bit when he was in Miami and he was a talk show host and he was the number one guy there. 
you know, Dan Lebedard is now, Hank Goldberg was before him. And then Hank got into gambling and odds making and did a great job with ESPN. What I always liked about Hank Goldberg when I'd see him on ESPN, you know, most of the time, TVs for the longest time, like pretty boys, guys with great hair, guys who were thin or they looked good in suits. Hank Goldberg did not. They put him on there for what came out of his mouth not because of the way his hair was. And so I had great respect for him. He'd been ill for quite a while. And then, of course, he died his longtime home when he left Miami, left Miami was Las Vegas. And even though people knew it was coming, it's still very sad because he made an impact, big-time impact in South Florida and a pretty good impact when you wanted odds on the NFL. And then he kind of faded into oblivion. John, one of your Baylor Bears, Robert Griffin III, is wanting to get back in the NFL. I was surprised he's only been out one year. It felt like it was another year or two that he's he's been away from the game, but took one year off, has been doing television. Uh, how realistic do you think it is that he can get another shot to be a backup quarterback for someone? Yeah, like I remember when he took that job with ESPN. Remember, Fox was after him as well. He ended up choosing ESPN. They gave him a lot to do in his first year. He did games. He did studio. And he's very, very well-spoken, but he also is informative, and he's not afraid to give his opinion, and people like that. But from the moment his name was linked to ESPN and Fox, he made it clear, and he had it in his contract. And if the team offered him a job and he liked the job, he would take it. Now he's putting it out there again that he's staying in shape and he wants to play. Now I'm partial to him, of course, since he was Baylor's only Heisman Trophy winner. And basically the reason they built McLean Stadium on the banks of the Brazos River. But his last job was backing up Lamar Jackson. And supposedly he did a good job helping Jackson's transition into the NFL and up to his success behind the scenes. But the fact is nobody's reaching out to him. I don't think he costs much money. He just wants an opportunity to get back in an organization. And I can't imagine with all the bad quarterbacking going on in the NFL that a team would not at least be interested in signing him, bringing him in, bringing him in, and seeing what he could do. Also, if I'm Robert Griffin III next year, if I still want to play, I'm looking at the USFL or the new XFL, and I'm going to one of those. And I don't know if he thinks that's beneath him or what. But if you're looking for an opportunity and you want something new on tape, that may be the route to go. You know, an example for you, John, would be in Chicago. You mentioned the backups. Right now in Chicago, the backups for Justin Fields are Nathan Peterman and Trevor Simeon. Those are your quarterbacks. That's rough. I mean, that that's... No, you got it. And it's not like RG3 is looking for a starting role. Both those guys... Well, Simeon had had a little success. Peterman is not. And so if I'm a team like that, I'm looking. One thing I'm interested about RG3 and we'll never know have things been put with things put out about him in Washington that he was hard to handle, that he was a prima donna when he was with Washington. There was nothing said like that when he was with Baltimore. John Harbaugh had nothing but praise for him. So did Lamar Jackson. And if he wants another shot, I hope he gets it. Chicago might be a place, but if he's telling people he's available and they haven't reached out by now, maybe they won't. Maybe his best bet would be if somebody gets hurt before or during training camp. 
Nobody, I don't think, would sign him during the season if a guy was hurt in a backup role because there'd be too many other backups who've been playing in preseason. So um, he may, he can't afford to be particular if he wants to return to the NFL. Well, and he's got um, – he is writing a book with Gary Myers – uh, not anymore. But not anymore, right? He put that – well, yeah. he's writing it. It's He's not publishing this until I, I believe his career is officially over. Yeah. Is that how I read this? I was smart of him because doing a book and in the initial re- release, uh, it took some shots at the Redskins hinting that he'd been sexually harassed. Well, of course, that got a lot of attention. Well, you know, that's bad timing. You want to come back to the NFL – you don't be putting anything out there like that. Gary Myers, longtime NFL writer for the New York Daily News. Before that, the Dallas Morning News. And Gary has written quite a few books since he retired from the newspaper business. And he had that deal going with RG3. And I thought, wow, I can't wait to read about that because there'll be a lot in there about Baylor, not just his NFL career. And then I saw where they – I thought they had just shelved it all together – but if he's going to wait till he's sure that he's not going to be playing anymore, he could still be doing the book and have it ready to go for when he did decide his career was officially over. John, people keep uh, listing Odell Beckham as as the the great carrot still available, I guess, in, uh, in in free agency. Maybe not realizing how late that ACL tear was. He's uh, not going to be available till October, November. Then he's a guy coming off of uh, of an ACL still who's going to need some recovery time. What kind of value do you think he is for anybody that's not not the Rams? And do you think there's a chance he gets signed before the season by anybody other than the Rams? I think the only one that would do it might be the Rams. But remember, they got Allen Robinson. They basically got him to take your place. They got Van Jefferson, Cooper Cup. They're loaded at wide receiver. And Odell Beckham Jr. now has a Super Bowl ring. Now, his tenure in Cleveland was not impressive on or off the field, but because he's a big name, people still put a lot of stock in his ability. I think that somebody signs him, they would look for him to be a contributor more in the second half of the season and maybe the playoffs. And that might be smart for a team like the Rams. I would think he'd be worth more to the Rams because they know about the surgery, the injury. They've had him last. They can afford to sign him and let him continue his rehab if it took half the season. And it might or might not. Maybe he's able to play earlier. But as far as a team going out and signing him to be the first or second season, I just don't see it, especially not for any uh, an impressive amount of money. Just just for context, last three years, he averaged 3.8 catches, 51 yards, um, and a third of a touchdown a game. So, uh, you know, it's not as dynamic. And those numbers were actually lesser with the Rams, where he was surrounded, obviously, by a good cast. But a lot of Titans fans are coming to me like he's the number one guy. He's not going to be a number one guy coming off the ACL. And he was a locker room issue in Cleveland for sure. Who got better after he, he yeah, was out of not in L.A. Yeah, not no, in, in L.A. Was, L.A. He, he helped he was, them win a Super Bowl. Yeah, he, he didn't finish the game, but he helped them win that championship. Oh, absolutely. He was a, he was here's a what, good piece. Here's what I think about that. I just heard or read or both about Packer fans being excited about Julio Jones might sign with the Packers, and I'm sure you guys have fun. Wouldn't get real excited about that one. Yeah, well, there or or Indy is the other one that's been floated out there. 
You feel like Indy would have happened by now, though, right? Also, Indy on the turf, I can't imagine, is, yeah. a, is a good match. It, also, him. any receiver, even if they're over the hill and not productive, is going to be infinitely more exciting playing with Aaron Rodgers than Ryan Tannehill. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, if I'm a Packers fan, I could get – yeah, I could work myself up to getting excited about Julio Jones because the guy who's throwing him the ball. Well, also, are you, are you excited about, you know, potentially half a season of Julio Jones? Well, that's, that's know, where – that's where your excitement dampens is the availability issue. Coming up, we will discuss the receiver who is not there, Devontae Adams, what Brett Favre had to say about Adams in Vegas with his new quarterback, not Aaron Rodgers. We'll get into that. We will discuss Deshaun Watson and the legalities that we await from the, uh, the NFL on exactly what's going to happen with his suspension or not. And we'll get John's take on there from Houston. We will also dive into Von Miller, who is no longer with the Rams. He is now a pass rusher in Buffalo and what he might bring, not just for the regular season, but postseason aspirations. And we will go back down to Houston with John and discuss what Lovey Smith is up against as the new head coach of the Houston Texans. All of that and more coming up with John McClain on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick Network, joined by John McClain. Each and every Tuesday at this time, we talk NFL headlines with John. You can join us on social media by following Outkick 360. You can also follow John there at McClain underscore on underscore NFL. John, it was a sobering reminder that it's it's not just in the trenches exclusive. Uh, when the reports were released uh, early this morning about Demarius Thomas, and uh, how they, they found traces of CTE um, in, in his autopsy um, that came back. And, you know, when you think of his career, a short career, including uh, the, the wide receiver position, if I'm playing the game, uh, no matter, you know, at what age, I'm, I'm, this is another sobering reminder of what could happen. I believe the doctor said what killed him had nothing is not associated with CTE, even though it showed up. Can you imagine what will happen if they ever develop a test that a player can take at any time to see if he has an onset of CTE right now? The only time it can be diagnosed is when you're dead. And if they ever come up with it, would players, if they found out early in their careers, you are a candidate, if you continue to play, to have CTE, which can have debilitating effect on you through the last year of your life and could contribute to your death. Well, and I wonder, John, how much of the CTE issue, brain trauma, everything else plays into what we're entering into the NFL now where players are taking complete control of negotiations even before negotiations normally happen with some holdouts that we're seeing where you see guys, and this isn't you know completely new, but trying to get as much as possible as early as possible because careers aren't going to last as long because guys have more knowledge now about what's happening to their brain the longer they play football. 
And that's that's true, but also careers are lasting longer because there's more money to be made and because players take better care of themselves and because they have great doctors, great rehab, diet, things they didn't used to know. It blows me away when I consider everything that is available to a player today compared to the way it was when I first started covering the NFL and the Oilers had like one bench press at their locker room on their practice facility, which was a dump and is now a parking lot. And they had a few weights to lift on the side. Most of those guys looked like basketball players. They were strong, but they weren't ripped the way they are now. Plus so many of them smoked. And I know a lot of guys today uh, that, that are in their seventies and they've had no, no problems with any kind of brain trauma, even though the banged head for 10 to 15 year career. So you never know for sure. The fact of the matter is there's so much more technology and so much more information available to you. And every player I know that I've ever asked, if you had to do it over again, would you do it? Even though they've had hip replacements, knee replacements, every kind of replacement you could have. And every one of them I've talked to said, absolutely. They have one regret that they weren't born later so they could be making millions and millions of years instead of hundred thousands. John, did you, uh, as a member of the seniors committee for the hall of fame, have a recent cut down vote? Uh, we did on the, on the coaches and contributors side. I'm wondering, um, I imagine that you have plenty, plenty, plenty of uh, qualified candidates there. What did you cut down from to 25? On our side, it was 37 to 25. If I could have voted for fewer than 25, I would have. There are not 25 qualified coaches and contributors, I, I don't think, on the list. I'll just say this about coaches. I hope Buddy Parker wins it. He won two championships with the Lions. When's the last time anybody mentioned Lions and championship I'm in the you. same sentence? He's one of my and top he, two. Good. He deserves to be in. Yes, we're putting in, I think, three this year, seniors. There are so many that I don't know anything about. And I served on that committee, uh, the Centennial Committee, with uh, people like Ron Wolf, and John Madden, Gil Brandt, Bill Belichick, uh, lots of former general managers who are in their 70s, a couple of them are in their 80s, and they hadn't even seen some of the players who were on our ballots from back in the 20s and the 30s. So we're having to go on basic information, but there are a lot of guys who played after World War II. Maxie Bond, linebacker from the Rams, 10 Pro Bowls back when the Pro Bowl meant something. Uh, Eddie Matter, 10 interceptions, one of the top interception machine. And that was a lot of people haven't heard about them. And so uh, we did have that cut to 25. Yeah, I spent a lot of time on it, Paul. And when I got to the 25, I was happy with it. And now it's going to be a lot more difficult to cut from there down to the list of finalists. John McClain with us. John, uh, Brett Favre says he expects a, a drop off in production. For Devontae Adams, paired with Derek Carr, compared to the relationship that he had or, or, or had for his entire NFL career with, with Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. And he said, hey, no, that's not to say he's not a great player because he's, he's a tremendous player. We'll see that with Las Vegas. But it's hard to shift gears, especially from a player as prolific as Aaron Rodgers. I'd be shocked if he had the same year he's had this year. That, that coming from Brett Favre when asked about Adams now with Vegas – 
Are we going to judge him solely based off that? Well, we shouldn't. You know, how are we going to judge him? He can produce and be great, but he's got some talent. Hunter Renfro at receiver, Darren Waller tight end looking for a new contract. Derek Carr is coming off his best season, and they're good buddies going back to Fresno State, but he's not going to force the ball to Adams when he's got other terrific receivers. And Devontae Adams, it was almost like Adams or bust for Aaron Rodgers. I think if the Raiders could, you know, they're not going to go 14-2 and two or 13-3, and three, or I can't remember what they were last year in a 17-game season, but they, they've only been to one Super Bowl under Aaron Rodgers. And I saw a stat where in the last eight games they played without Devontae Adams, they were 7-1 and one and averaged 31 or 32 points a game. So no matter how much Carr wants to get him the ball, he's got better receivers than Rodgers did. But still, there's only one Aaron Rodgers, and I'd be really surprised if he had the kind of stats with the Raiders that he had with the Packers, even though he's playing home games indoors. Yeah, they were 10-7 and seven a year ago, finished second in the West. And you're right about all the production. That's what I thought of. And then I think, okay, who does Green Bay have left? Robert Tanyan's back. They've re-signed him at tight end. They have Randall Cobb, who they acquired in the trade last preseason. Uh, Alan Lazard is back uh, under that one-year uh, restricted free agent tender, I believe. Sammy Watkins it has been signed, but this is—I know they drafted what Christian Kirksey. Watson in the oh, yeah, in Watson. Christian Watson in the second round of the draft. But but this is not um, a, a wide receiver core that you could put up there with probably any wide receiver group that Aaron Rodgers has played with throughout his career, top to bottom. And that's it's pretty obvious. That. Yeah, pretty obvious. Aaron Rodgers is going to have to do some serious uh, whipping up chicken salad out of you know what. And how does that go? I think it'll go better than people expect because Rodgers is one of the better all-time passers in NFL history. One one addition this offseason that was talked about for maybe 24 to 48 hours, and it's kind of been pushed uh, to the regular season discussion whenever the guy starts to to have uh, uh, production, is Von Miller. You know, he's a veteran. He's, what, 32, 33 years old now. Um, he signs a six-year deal in Buffalo, coming off the season in L.A., and unlike the vets at the trade deadline that you expect to provide a a big splash with the news, but then maybe they fizzle out or maybe they're just not nearly at the level that they once were, Von Miller's the opposite with his production. Um, You know, there's no... His his production from the trade deadline to the end of the season, which, of course, ended in the Super Bowl for him, was spectacular. Um, he finished with 14 tackles, four sacks, six quarterback hits, and a forced fumble in the postseason. And he had 50 tackles, nine and a half sacks, and 17 quarterback hits in the regular season. Of course, part of that is with Denver. But now inserting him into that Buffalo defense, John, and as consistent as he, as he has been throughout his career, what are expectations like for that Bills defense? I'll tell you what, he had Aaron Donald with him. He had good player Bradley Chubb with him in Denver. And Von Miller missed a season because of injuries. He's suspended one time. And so it's not like he's been getting a lot of wear and tear lately, but he knows how to turn it on 
near the end of the season when it counts, that six-year contract's paper mache. You know, he's hoping to get two or three years out of that. Most people have the Bills representing the AFC in the Super Bowl, and that'd be great for him. He's a dynamic leader. One of the things he does, organize pass rushing camp every offseason. I think that's been a boon to a lot of young pass rushers. And he's a really good guy. And uh, he can still play. He's a good teammate. I think for an aspiring Super Bowl team like Denver, a lot of people looked at that deal. What in the world are they thinking? Well, they're thinking this year. They're thinking we want to go to the Super Bowl this year. We think Von Miller can help us. And if they get him beyond one year or maybe two, they would be incredibly happy they've they've done a lot at pass rush there obviously aj epinesa boogie basham greg rousseau in addition to miller over the last two years the other deficiency on that team has been the run game um offensive line roger saffold we know a, a great run blocker not a great pass protector uh mitch morse the new center um, and James Cook, uh, a new running back in the mix there. What do you think of their run game progression, John? Well, first of all, Paul, uh, so much of their run games, Josh Allen. You know, I saw a picture of him. My God, is that guy ripped. He looks like a tight end. You know, he's 6'5", about 240, 245, and he runs well. He runs like Cam Newton. And so I think they hold their breath every time he takes off. But unless they get better production from a guy like Cook, who's also an excellent receiver, maybe the best two-way back coming in the draft this year, I think it still revolves, all revolves around Allen. But, man, it's scary when he runs and he looks for contact. You don't see him run out of bounds much. You don't see him slide much. He likes to punish people, and that warrior mentality is great, but he's got to do a better job of taking care of himself, and it would behoove the Bills if they found some running backs to run and they could limit what Josh Allen does on the ground, maybe when plays break down. But he's a tremendous asset. They're trying to win the Super Bowl. You know they're going to utilize him, and you hope if you're a Bills fans that that that, that running game is going to be better, and they're going to be better not because of Josh Allen. John, what is Lovey Smith up against? as the new head coach of the Houston Texans? Well, he takes over a team that won four games last year at the third pick. They used their first two picks on defensive backs. They were terrible in the secondary last year. They signed two former Buffalo defensive ends, 34-year-old Mario Mario Addison and 33-year-old Jerry Hughes, who combined for 13 and a half sacks last season to compete at defensive end for a a defensive line that is a four-man front, provides most of the pressure, and had the sack leader had eight. So they need those guys, and Lovey's still going to call the defense, and they still got a lot of deficiencies. Most people think they have the worst roster in the league, and they very well might. Where last year they were older because they signed a lot of veteran free agents to one- and two-year deals because they didn't have number one picks two years in a row, didn't have a number two pick last year. But now this year they had a bunch of picks, including two number ones, so they should get younger. Younger, but is is Lovey Smith – do you view him the same way you viewed David Culley a year ago, or is this more of a a play where Lovey Smith won ten games in Chicago? He's certainly been interviewed for head coaching jobs prior to this one, unlike David Culley. Do you see this with a better chance of working out long term? 
Well, I do because he's got a better roster. He's got a quarterback, Davis Mills, played really well over the last five games. They believe in him going into his second year. He's got to have a better running game. Couldn't be any worse. Worse in the NFL, worst in franchise history. It was just pathetic with a capital P. Got some receivers with experience. Defense could be a little better. Special teams are fine. But Lovey Smith's last eight years in Chicago, he was 24 games over 500, went to Super Bowl, coach of the year, got fired after a 10 and 6 season, and goes to Tampa. They have the worst record in the league and draft Jameis Winston. They play him improved by four games. Then he gets fired because they're afraid Dirk Cutter, the offensive coordinator, was going to leave for a head coaching job. And so Lovey Smith, I think, made a mistake going to the University of Illinois. That was a dead end. He should have either sat out a year or become a defensive coordinator. And if it was with a good team, he'd have a third chance. This is the first time an African-American head coach has had three jobs. And he said he had unfinished business. They respect him a lot. But the fact is, you know, they don't have very good talent. So if they could win five or six games, people here ought to be satisfied and then start looking to 2023 when they have another 11 picks, two number ones, and could they have 120 million in cap room and be able to sign some good free agents for a change. John, we had David Coley in studio last week. He said something about Davis Mills that got a lot of Texans fans worked up and excited. Was He said if he came out a year later, he's probably the first quarterback taken in the NFL draft, uh, given the crop of quarterbacks this past year. Some would say that just doesn't say much for these quarterbacks in this draft class. Others would say that's a big compliment for Davis Mills. What, what did you think about his comment? Well, Mills started only 11 games at Stanford, and the reason he came out instead of going back was because his coach, uh, David Shaw, couldn't tell him that because of the pandemic, things were not going to be any different last season and as far as preparation time spent number of games so he just decided to enter the NFL and David Culley saw his progression saw him behind the scenes saw he played in the last five games I would have said the same thing because it says more about the crop of quarterbacks that came out this year with only one Kenny Pickett going in the first two rounds John McClain with us. He joins us each and every Tuesday at this time. John, thank you as always. Have a great week. And, you know, before we know it, training camps will be upon us. We'll what's, be previewing the divisions coming up with you. What's this like for you anticipating a training camp where you're not necessarily going to be out there standing in the in the furnace? I like the off-season program. I'll be out there every day. I'm on the radio here five times a week on the flagship. And I'm going to be doing some writing for the station's website. I've actually had three job opportunities. I don't know if I want to write. The reason I retired from the Chronicle is I just got tired of writing so much every day. I like talking about sports better than writing because you guys, when you write for your website or Paul, when you do it all the time, you know it's a whole lot easier talking about it than writing about it. Thank you very much for having me. Hope you guys have a great rest of the week thank you, you john john mcclain never stops never right stops. never stops Sports Radio never 610 there in houston is where you can find him and on on twitter at mcclain underscore on underscore nfl we love having john mcclain on with us weekly coming tell up you, those houston camps are a different <laughs> different, different level, level of hu- humidity and oh, heat you're God. saying yeah well you were covering them whenever they had two a days too Right, uh, it's uh, I, no, I don't know about two days, but they, two-a-days they also. Were, I mean, I, I mean, that wasn't that long ago. Yeah, it was a it, CBA and a half ago. It's a brutal heat there. Different element really tests you.
John's been in the fire for 50 years. He's, he's ready for another one. Sign him up. He's, he's wearing all black out there, too. <laughs> Sometimes no, all navy. No, that looks no like all black. sunny light yes. colors for John McClain. Only all black out at camp. Stallions win the inaugural USFL championship. We discuss the season and what is expected for season number two. That's next on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. I'll kick 360 rolls on. Congrats to the USFL and all of the, uh, the people behind the scenes that made it work for a full season capped off by the Birmingham Stallions championship game this past weekend, this past Sunday night, 33 30 was the final. It was 20 to nine, the halftime score Birmingham up and Philadelphia made a charge back, back and forth second half, uh, where they, uh, score a touchdown. Then quickly, uh, there's a, an interception that allows Birmingham to get back up. Scooby Wright had the, the, the INT that more or less put it away. Pick six. And uh, for after that score, Philly was able to get back on the board, but not enough. And Birmingham wins the title after losing just one game throughout the entire 12 weeks of football that they had because they went to Canton. Great crowd on hand. And uh, overall, very successful season based on where they were in April and where they hope to be next spring which will be year number two of the league. That much we know. There's a lot of roster cleanup in the NFL right before camps start. And I think that's the main curiosity from here is how many guys get into camps right at the beginning. Better yet, uh, you know, for once there are injuries and stuff start happening. So are you going to kick some guys out of your roster to bring some of these guys in right out of the gate? And I'm curious what those numbers are, guys. I, I think there's four to five players who can latch onto a camp somewhere. Um, how many of those make an active roster? I'm not sure. But I, I look at the USFL and the players I, I saw. I think there are somewhere between three to five uh, players who could realistically be in a camp a month from now. Well, a, a based couple- on speed and based on position couple observations watching that game. Uh, exciting finish with two backup quarterbacks in the game. K.J. Costello, the former Mississippi State Bulldog, came in for Philadelphia late, and um, he threw the pick six to Scooby Wright. Bounced back nicely with a touchdown drive and, and made it interesting in the end. It was fun to watch the fourth and 12 be implemented for the onside kick. Instead of an onside kick, didn't work, but it was fun watching that the, the build-up to that play happening where Philly really had a chance to win a championship if they complete a 4th and 12. Um, the crowd was good in Canton for the championship game. I think it was a successful first season. Fox announces after there's going to be more hub cities, host sites, not just Birmingham next season. And it's going to go head-to-head with XFL. So I think what this season showed was you can be successful – and you can sustain this thing past the season. You got through a full season. 
it was announced, you know, you knew early in the first season there was going to be a second season. Now we're going to really test the appetite because there's going to be a completely new league launching next spring during the football offseason. So this is going to get very interesting now. I don't know how... uh, how much overlap? I don't know how long the XFL season is, but XFL starts right away after NFL's over. Saturday, yep. February 18th next year. Yeah, right? but I'm saying you're going to have two yeah. you know, What's major the for off-season leagues yeah. for, for pro football. Well, the good news for the USFL, um, well... They got a one-year head jump, a head start. Which they is have a one-year head start. Every player who signed on this year has a two-year agreement with the league. They put that in there knowing that the XFL is coming a year later. So the XFL can't just go and poach and sign players right. off of USFL rosters to start in February. It's going to have third-tier players. But the the group of players, and I think this can end up helping the USFL, the players are looking at unionizing. If that happens, uh, that, to me, will help the USFL even further their their foothold on spring leagues compared to the XFL, which is, again, going for that flat rate uh, versus... Uh, a, a, an actual collective bargaining agreement that these players are looking for with the USFL. It's not going to break the bank the same way the NFL would. Um, but at the same time, uh, it could benefit the players who are having a spectacular year, not having to make the same amount of money as the guy who you know, comes into the league and is not performing at the same level as a Victor Bolden, for instance, or a, a Jamar Smith, who's throwing a 70-yard touchdown pass in the championship game. Those guys... Should be making more per week than the special teams guys or the backup quarterback. And right now, based on the way the league was structured, for the most part, every player is making exactly the same amount of money. Yeah, that's going to need a change. Uh, There's also a change in the college football realignment story. This coming down just now from CBS Sports. Uh, Colorado has issued a statement. Dennis Dodge report was that Colorado would be one of the six teams that's being approached by the Big 12 to leave the Pac-12. So Colorado, the university, released a statement saying, CU Boulder supports the decision of the Pac-12 Board of Directors this morning to begin conference media rights negotiations. We are committed to the Pac-12 conference and look forward to being an active participant in those conversations. So what I said earlier, getting out in front of this, we're going to bump up those negotiations even sooner in hopes to keep our members in this conference it's worked with at least one of them based on that report because Colorado says they're staying and they're going to be in the Pac-12 negotiations with a new media rights deal. I, I, I think we see somewhat of a, a merger between the Big 12 and the Pac-12 and the media rights deal will share all. Um, I think that would be the, the right when it broke. I said that's going to be the smartest route for that, those two conferences to survive. And not only survive, thrive. I mean, if you get both those conferences together – and you, especially if you cherry pick the best from both conferences, you, you got a legitimate, not, not just football, but sports league that, where you're going to make a lot of money in television. Yeah, I just don't. I mean, I would think the, the networks they're talking to are going to be part of brokering that. The Pac 12 seems to be making it sound like they're negotiating like as is, or there's, there's some implication to that, which seems silly. I, I doesn't this just feel like posturing on all sides? Yeah. Well, the, the Big the Pac-12 Twelve is getting, getting reports out there that they're going to go after these teams. They're going to add these six teams, and this comes minutes, maybe an hour after the Pac-12 
leaks a report that they are bumping up their media negotiation. Now you got Colorado on the same day coming back saying, we approve of what the Board of Governors said and we are committed to the Pac-12. So now the Big 12 going to come back and leak another report to show how they have the, the bigger hand in all of this. I mean, this all could be leading to them shaking hands at the end of it and saying, let's figure something out together. Yeah, through uh, multiple media partnerships and outlets. Yeah. Yes. And where the, the mo- media is the one that's really going to be doing the determining. Well, that, again, that's no shock. Yeah. Look at ESPN and the SEC in Texas and Oklahoma. Yeah. And how upset the Big 12 got. And why we don't see an expansion in the college football playoff right now. Because the conferences don't trust the, the networks. They don't trust ESPN specifically. Right. So that, this is no shock. Uh, and, and for the Pac-12 last week to say that they were surprised. Well, how can you say that? How can you say you're surprised that USC and UCLA left? Well, if you're surprised, I, I would argue you're not really doing your job. Or you're trying to act like you're, well, we're, we're shocked that they would um, uh, be so disloyal. Yeah, you think to the, the history is going to carry things instead of the money. Yeah, I mean, I, you're, you're not just, I mean, you're, you're beyond resuscitation at that point if you're surprised by it. If you, if truly they're surprised by it, you should have been scared. I don't think this. I don't think the new commissioner is surprised by it, based on his business model and having the background of MGM. That, to me, that was just a cliche response to what you're actually trying to load up and do, which is to keep the the media partners on board. And how do you do that? You've got to think bigger and much more long term. And with that comes the Big Twelve. We'll dive back into this coming up. Plus headlines, including Major League Baseball and tipping pitches. 